Hello and welcome to Farscape Friday episode 82. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 16th episode of season 4, Bringing Home the Beacon. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Bringing Home the Beacon. The women of Moya go to a dead leviathan that's been fused with a planetoid to find a black market selling a sensor distorter that will make Moya look like a freighter on long-range scans. While their initial meeting goes well, they end up crashing secret negotiations between Greza and the Scarin War Minister. Aaron and Sokozu try to save the Luxon planets from Scarin control, while Chiana and Naranti go under deep cover to get away from PK DNA scans. So this week, we are joined by Esther, a longtime fan of Farscape and friend of the podcast. So welcome, Esther. Hello. It's really lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited. So before we get really deep into the episode, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. And how did you get into Farscape? I can't actually remember the specific year, but definitely when I was in sort of secondary school, so 16, 17, I was a massive insomniac and it was on really late at night on BBC Two. Um, <laughs> and I think my first episode was Revenging Angel, which isn't even a really farscape Farscape episode, but I just loved it. I loved this sort of playfulness to it and I watched it all through to the end of the series and then they showed it from the beginning and I I really loved it I loved the characters I loved the show I'm very very in love with John and Erin as (laughs) are we all (laughs) yeah I've been invested in this show for quite a long time and also you know I really like quizzes I did a really crazy thing I decided that I wanted to go on a really popular tv quiz show called mastermind in the UK and you have to pick a specialist subject and given how much I've watched the show over the years and rewatched it and I'm deeply in love with it I picked it as my specialist subject so I almost semi-professionally love (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic oh my gosh badly on Farscape. <laughs> it was really, really bad. They asked such hard questions, but it was amazing sort of to have it. And loads of people responded really well on Twitter. And it was really nice because given how long after the show had been on, loads of people were really happy I was doing Farscape as a subject. So people who I told I was doing it were either, I've never heard of this show before, and I was like, you need to watch it, or, well, <laughs> my God, that's amazing. And the amount of people who really love the show and have a deeper affection for it I think is really really special yeah I've had a lot of similar experience of people either not knowing what I'm talking about and being scared by the puppets or being like oh my god it is the best we are now friends for life because of the show (laughs) I I like more if they like Farscape yeah this is actually one of the reasons Kay and I became really good friends was because we instantly bonded over our love for Farscape Yes. And I have to give you props, Esther, because I not only get stage fright, but I watched that episode and they were asking you some hard questions. I remember (laughs) they asked you one about scratch and sniff that like we had just done that episode when I watched it. And I was like, dang, I don't even remember that. (laughs) I was so hard. I had charts on 
the family tree and everything. <laughs> and then I was just, and I have a, another friend and he, he's a massive nerd. And I got him to send me the 20 hardest questions he could think of Farscape. And I think when he first sent them to me, I only knew about 11 of those. And uh-huh. they were still a lot easier than the questions I got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us for bringing home the beacon. Which is basically, in my opinion, the beginning of the slide into the home stretch of season four. This is where we have Greza back in. This is mm-hmm. where the Scarens come in. And this is where all sorts of, of plot stuff happens that will propel us through to the end of the season. Yeah. And uh, so, first impressions. How do you like the episode? Well, I take this, obviously, I... I emailed you before season four started recording, I think, um, to say that I really wanted to be on a podcast and I really love you guys and I would <laughs> be on one. Um, and I have a few deep favourites. Most of my favourite Farscape episodes are in season four. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Terra Firma is one of my favourite episodes <laughs> for many, many reasons. But I didn't feel like I wanted to talk about an episode that wasn't set in space because so much of what Farscape is about is their interaction with alien creatures and on alien world. Mm -hmm. But I knew I really wanted an Erin centric episode because she is my absolute favorite character. So no massive spoilers, but I picked it for a reason. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we can get into spoilers because presumably folks have either watched the episode before listening to it or they're just listening to our show without having watched the show, which I don't know why you would do that, or they've seen it a long time ago. And like us sometimes might not have remembered exactly what happens, but we got to talk about it anyway. So this episode opens kind of with a recap of where everything is and the boys back from their mental as anything episode. And I love the first little bit with Rigel where he's like, I'm not eating because I'm practicing mental abstinence from what I learned from a Katoya. But really it's because no one cooked for him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's because none of them can cook. He's like, (laughs) he's like, none of you guys can cook. (laughs) he's so he he always tries to be really noble and then sort of fall short every single time (laughs) but he's he's great and like i love the different ways that all of them miss the other characters as well Mm -hmm, like you mm -hmm. can feel that they're all anxious for the girls to be back on board because they all bring a really important dynamic to the ship and yeah the boys without the girls are completely lost yeah (laughs) That's an understatement. <laughs> it is. It is. But I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about this episode is we really get to see the women of the crew interacting in a way that we've been talking about we feel like we miss. It's like mm-hmm. Aaron and Shiana seem to have this friendship, but we don't get to see a whole lot of it. And here we get to see a little bit more of their concern and how they interact with each other. And even more interestingly, we get a lot of Aaron and Sokozu in this episode, and we can see kind of this mini arc of their relationship as it as it goes through. So they're on the planetoid, which is, I think, a great way to reuse Moya sets. I, basically, it feels like a Moya set dressed up with alien <laughs> things because they're like, oh, it's a fused dead leviathan. Um, yeah, and they're walking through a market and they're looking for uh, the dealer who will get them a sensor distorter. And yeah. I'm going to go ahead and play our first quote, which is once they are inside the cafe and... We have the first part of the negotiations. Care to hear our specials? 
Not unless you have a discount on sensor distorters. Sensor consorters? Is that some sort of pleasure toy? <laughs> Look, I know you have to check us out. That's your job, that's fine, but now that you know that I know what I'm talking about, I suggest you start taking us seriously. I'd love to take you seriously. <laughs> Won't your grandmother object? Don't drink them. They're drugged. A suggestibility potion, perhaps? Such an old trick. My apologies to you. And professional admiration for your skills. Thank you. May we see record now? I love Neuranti here. I, this is the second episode, third episode, I think, in like, well, no, because she wasn't in mental as anything. But this is the, the second time in a couple episodes that I have really been in love with how useful she's been and how, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Because early days, they didn't seem to slightly know what to do with her. She was sort of like this fun, quirky granny who was a little bit inappropriate. (laughs) But here, it's like, no, I'm the cook, but I'm also able to sort of drill down on, yeah, this is drugged. I know the taste (laughs) of things. I I know you're messing with us. And it's great. And the way they work as a team is amazing. Because through that whole thing, Erin's not talking. And when she does talk, she's getting straight down to the business, straight down to the negotiation. Tiana's Mm -hmm. input is all about, let's give an alternative to how you might want to maybe... Negotiate the price down by trading sex for for a lower price. Exactly. But it's they all use their special skills and it's really great because no one takes like a particularly front seat to me. I mean, she's she goes is making the negotiation, but the others are all there and they're not there just as decoration. They are there because they have a function to serve. And it's really great that the team's sort of working so nicely together. Yeah, I really love that too. And at one point when Aaron is pulling out her her gun and placing it on the table of being like, look, we mean business here. And I really like your point about them all having a role to play in this functioning team where this this guy is basically treating them like, you know, a woman walking into a car lot to buy a car and like they don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing. They're going to be easy marks to swindle and like, no, they're all going to they each catch a different angle of his of his con or mm-hmm. not so sales pitch. <laughs> I mean, yes, he's so sleazy with, oh, I want to take you seriously. And like you can hear Aaron's eyes rolling. And you mm-hmm. hear like, oh, OK, maybe this is something I can use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's sure. a good point because later on, when he's like, "Well, I need to have your whatever you know jargon," and he's like, "Do you girls even know what that is?" and like Naranti pulls it out, and she's like, "I guess we do." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's such competence. Yeah, you know it. what? I think this is what mental as anything was missing for me is like competence porn, which is what this is. Like everybody throughout this whole episode is really, really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because the boys are all really floundering in mental as anything. And it's like you've got this doggo who is regressively season one. He's all about his anger. He's all about his frustration. And actually, he's learned to channel some of those emotions and grown them. And whereas here, you've got a very season four Erin. She's calm. Mm-hmm. 
collected. She knows what she's about. And yeah, they give each other the sort of space to do what they need to do to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the peddlers, the dudes, the two dudes, they basically negotiate down to 16 Krindars, which is, um, since they're in the part of space that takes Krindars, which is the Scarin currency, they say four arms. That's when we'll have it delivered to you back at your pod. And the, the Sukozu and Aaron are like, that's way too long, but they're stuck with that. It's going to take that long. They make the deal. They don't trust them. Chiana ends up following them to make sure that they're not going to be doing anything shady. And while she's following them, she loses them. And she ends up at another services place. And they've been given these tokens to amuse themselves while they're there. And she ends up going in and getting a massage from (laughs) a... One of these, they're they're in white. the The two women who who run the place, they're in white. They've they've got these. They're like, you know, pretty woman. When they're when the the sales lady is like, you're not good enough for this store. That's kind of their mm-hmm. attitude that they have. But it's it's just fantastic. And and Shiana goes in, gets her massage, and she's pumping them from information. And think I saw these two guys. Where did they go? And they're like. This is what I, I didn't get this one, but the woman is who's giving her the massage is shape shifting during it, and she's like, you know what else we sell here, right? Is shape shifting technology, and like, and Chiana figures that out, and she's like, oh, right, they probably walked right by me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what she's up to. Yeah. Mm. And meanwhile, Aaron and Sokozu have run into some familiar faces. They have run into Greza and Braca and four. Two or four? Does he four. remember? Four, four yeah. random PK grunts, mm-hmm. which is kind of where this episode gets gets from like fun girl time to like interesting. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, because Aaron and and Sukozu immediately hide and they're like, "Oh my God, they found us! They're after us! What are we going to do?" And that's kind of where the credits come in. Yeah, and Aaron's just really instantly suspicious of Shizoku and that's like okay she's kind (laughs) of through now definitely from uh, a prefect murder Mm -hmm. like they're a team and Mm -hmm. you know there's nothing she's done that's been explicitly we don't trust you Mm -hmm. but Erin's still very suspicious because her first thing's like someone sold us out and she doesn't think it's Chiana, and she doesn't think it's Naranti. She's <laughs> definitely like, someone has told the peacekeepers that we're here. Otherwise, how could they have found us? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's interesting. And here's a question for you guys. So we've seen several episodes, over several episodes, Sukozu and Scorpius kind of having these alliance talks. How much do you think the rest of the crew knows about them becoming a team? Hmm. Ooh. Huh. Because they spent a lot of time together on Terra Firma. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I know everyone has a lot going on on those episodes, but I think it must be really obvious that she holds Scorpius in a lot of esteem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. no one really still trusts Scorpius. They know what his agenda is, but with Shizoku, it's not as clear what her agenda is. And I think that's why there is still the suspicion. It's actually really easy to sort of pass what Scorpius is about. He's about right. protection. He's about the wormhole knowledge. But actually, she came on board as a sort of... Yeah, she was running and she was fleeing. But yeah. don't know her agenda. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
and I, I could definitely see Scorpius and Sokozu keeping their conversations about being allies and all that stuff on the wraps from the rest of the crew, even though we even had, as you said, the rest of the crew knows Scorpius' agenda. John pointed that out at the end of Twice Shy. Mm-hmm. And we are the audience are reminded that Scorpius' intentions are very, very personal and he is not an ally of the team. But where does that leave Sokozu? And I think that's an interesting question that this episode asks mm-hmm. as as she and Aaron kind of have this mini arc of what, who they are and how they work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think it's especially pointed because right before they run into Greza and Braca, they kind of have this really great camaraderie where Aaron is actually complimenting Sokozu and Sokozu's like, you know, yeah, that was a good job on the price. And like, you know, they're both really happy. And it reminded me a lot of kind of how they were in Kubai Clam, you know, of like, Hey, mm-hmm. we're in this together. You know, we've got each other's backs I mean, I think this conversation is also a little bit of a fake out because of the end of the episode, but mm-hmm. um, it is interesting. So Aaron and Sokozu realize that Greza actually isn't there for them. First time ever. She's <laughs> there because she is having a off-the-books meeting with the Scarin War Minister, who is played by Ben Browder's wife, Francesca mm-hmm. Mueller. Yay. Good to see her. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron actually has to convince Sokozu to go check on the meeting, to go spy on the meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, Sokozu's first instinct is to run. She's like, oh, we got two people who would kill us on site. We got to split. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they've sent Norianti to go find Chiana because they don't know where Chiana is right now. Mm-hmm. And actually, I want to play that that little digression because it's really funny when Norianti tells Chiana that the peacekeepers there and are there and they need to hide. Transformers. Ooh, genetic modification. Good enough to add to pass DNA scan. But you have to select a species before we can. Well, I don't really know. I don't know where that choosy. Maybe, maybe Lumas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eyes? Eyes would be oh, great. So you, you choose. Yes, you choose. Not, not, nothing too special. Well, I'll do this one. You service her come on i'm sorry i just love eyes eyes would be good <laughs> yeah and actually because they're both quite vain about how they're gonna look it's like mm-hmm. oh tell me how but they do really care yeah and chiana like wants bigger boobs also anyway i just love that little bit because i feel like chiana and norianti in this episode are the comic relief they're the ones who are going to be transformed and have confrontation with Braca later on as transformed people we'll get to that in a minute they're lightening up this otherwise really tense episode that we have because Stuff gets serious really, really soon. As soon as mm-hmm. Aaron and Sokozu start listening in on the on the meeting between uh, Greza and who they discover the war minister Anka, Anka. And this is it. This is the thing that when Scorpius warned Braca, you know, the future of Peacekeeper sort yeah. of like mm-hmm. ended on him avoiding this very thing. This is a thing Scorpius is scared of. That's terrifying, and that's happening. Yes. Yes. That's a really good point because throughout this whole episode, I kind of, I I kept going back to your point, Taz, a few episodes ago where you're like, I kind of want to see like this whole season from Braca's point of view, because can you imagine him having to drive Greza to this meeting and knowing I have to do something, but not knowing what to do? 
Mm-hmm. And he doesn't stop it. Like, mm-hmm. even in spite of Scorpius warning, I'm like, what would he have done to prevent the thing happening? Like, was he going to take Razor out? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what he could have done. And yeah. so, yeah, when Eren's like, no, we have to act, we have to intervene later on, it's, it is kind of like, actually, yeah, this is something that needs to be done because otherwise it could be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think this is why Braca is not the hero of the story. I mean, he is in the position where he potentially could do something, but he is not the kind of person and character that will do something and go to those extremes, whether through competence or courage or any of those things. That's what distinguishes him from our crew. And as you just said, from Aaron specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Aaron and Sokozu find out what Greza is offering the Scarens. And I want to play that quote because this is the Aaron of season four, you know? Will you tell me? Greza says she is willing to cede all the Luxon worlds to the Scarens in exchange for peace. What? She can't mean it. The peacekeepers and Luxons have a mutual defense pact. Grazer has to be bluffing. She can't fulfill that promise. The Luxons would go to war. And how long could the Luxons hold out against the Scarens without the support of the peacekeepers? If that really is Grazer's intention, we can't let her go through with it. I doubt we can talk her out of it, Aaron. I wasn't thinking about talking. I have a gun. You would assassinate Grazer. She'd do the same to us. All right, then what? Do you have any plan of escape? Run. Anything more detailed, Erin? Run quickly. And what if we run into more opposition than we can handle? You have the conversation with Dargo about why his worlds were obliterated. I think there's a couple really great things here. Remember that this is also the Erin who left at the end of season three, not just to get away from John, but to go join a renegade peacekeeper outfit to do assassinations and things like this like there's we don't really talk about it so much but Aaron is tied into the spatial political situation the greater okay. Scarin situation the peacekeeper situation how they interact with the worlds that they govern that sort of thing and I really love that this conversation is basically about hey there's a war coming we have the opportunity to stop it in its tracks and Aaron is going to do that by any means necessary. She's not a talker. She's going to assassinate Reza. Mm-hmm. And I love her getaway plan. That's the best. Run. Yes. <laughs> Run, Run quickly. quickly <laughs> is my favorite line of the episode. Um, because it's sort of, it's that thing of normally Aaron has a really strong strategy or a really strong plan and it does involve shooting people. But she is, do you know what? If needs be, we will do what we need to do and we'll make it out of here. It's quite optimistic <laughs> as a runaway strategy, um, which is not very errant. Uh, but yeah, it's it's great. She's like, this is more important. We'll do whatever we need to do. That's what she's saying. And mm-hmm. I do love Erin at that moment going, I'm not going to explain to Dargo why his worlds were ravaged. Because yeah. her her loyalty to him now is... Do you know what? We can prevent this and it's quite an easy solve. Let's just do it. Yeah, it's very much a plan that I feel like is a, a John Crichton plan of like, 
we'll figure out how to get away later. We just got to do it. Yeah, and I really love that touch about, you know, bringing in her connection to Dargo because they have such a strong friendship. We haven't seen it as much on screen recently, mm-hmm. but it's a really nice reminder that she really does care about him and, you know, his people by extension because they're important to him. Mm-hmm. Well, and also pointing out that Sokozu has become more a member of the crew as well. Because she's not saying, I would have to explain this to Dargo. She's saying, you explain to Dargo. And that's kind of what holds Sokozu up, is Mm -hmm. that even though she's mercenary, very mercenary, she also clearly does have a relationship with the crew at this point that's more than just, you know, somebody to get me from place A to place B. Right. And how's my boyfriend? (laughs) (laughs) And she does respect Dargo. I think in terms of the decisions that are made, uh, she is the least ridicule she the least ridicule she's heaped on anyone is Dargo. Mm-hmm. She's oh, happy yeah. to follow decisions. Uh whereas usually if it's a John plan, she's like, what the hell? If it's a Rigel <laughs> openly like I, I don't understand what you're talking about. But with Dargo, she doesn't I think not throwing up to resistance shows that she respects him. And actually, yeah, that's why she does stop, because she respects Dargo and she thinks this is a horrible, mm-hmm. horrible thing that I want to do. Which it is. Yeah. Yeah. So they continue to spy on the conversation between Greza and Anka, which continues as they are negotiating. So Greza is offering the Luxon homeworlds control of them, which they have Mm -hmm. a treaty with, with the Luxons with. In exchange, the Scarens are not to impede peacekeeper expansion into the uncharted territories, which are kind of the Wild West and unclaimed. This also made me really want to kind of have a map of space that'd be like, like, where are all these people? Where are all these territories? <laughs> but I don't know if where one might be, so I didn't pull one. So they're having this negotiation, and it's like, what's, you know, where's the nebula that we're going to cut off at and all this stuff? But the really interesting part of their conversation to me was when it got personal. And I want to play that next between Greza and Anka, because I think it says a lot about both of their characters. You would never get your council to support such a treaty. A majority of the councillors already support me. They are ready for a change of leadership. You would seize power for the greater good. The beneficial effects of this treaty will also, of course, speed your ascent through the Scaran hierarchy. I need no help in that regard. How many cycles ago was your father deposed? How long since your last promotion? Too long. But then I don't resort to the methods you utilize to advance. Would you have a weapon in your armory and leave it unused? Out of squeamish good taste? Captain Bracker. So yeah, I just, I don't know, I just really love that they're having this political discussion, but really this deal is going to hinge on the ambition of these two women mm-hmm. leaders. We have Greza, who's a commandant of the Peacekeepers, who's basically got herself set up to be promoted to be like the head of high of the high command. And you have Anka, who is waiting for her next promotion and been passed over, and apparently her father was deposed at one point. So she's this other really high-ranking, but not quite at the top, Scarin official and it's this agreement is going to elevate both their careers and that so that is the reason why they're gonna take it and while you have this going on they're taking pot shots at each other 
which is great. And also, it's again this thing. It's reinforced. Like Grace is not only willing to sell out the Luxon, she will also use everything in her arsenal to get what she wants, even her skeezy, skeezy boob sweat. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, she's ruthless. Yeah, and I love that that Anka's like, I don't need to sleep with anyone in order to get what I need, or you know, mm-hmm. po- you know, use drugs and stuff to do that. Is like as if she's better, and who knows? Maybe it is more competence if you can get that far. But I kind of agree with Graza's. Like you got the tools. Are you yeah. gonna? If if you want to win, you have to have no morals and no compunction about doing anything that needs to get done to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And she wants peace at any cost, and peace at any cost is not the worst thing to want, even if your methods are really quite terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point about peace being what she wants. Because on the one hand, we've explicitly talked a lot about how skeevu we find Greza and her boob magic. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, she shortened her own lifespan. And she, according to her, she's on track to become head of all of the peacekeepers. And what she wants is no more, you know, sebation death. She wants peace. So I don't know. I I don't know that this episode necessarily made me feel more sympathetic for Greza, but I also think that I really wish they had done this earlier in the season, like made her, her motives a little more understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause by this point we kind of just hate her because she's terrible and she (laughs) sort of plays around with, she played around with John back on, uh, Oh, planet, um, on, uh, What's it called? Yeah, that one. From. Yeah. Arnest. Arnest. So she plays around with John Arnest and she's been messing with our boy Bracca with the screed thing and pretending that she's. Oh my God, that was so weird. It's so (laughs) creepy. This is the first time she hasn't been creepy and it's her first interaction with a woman where she's doing the power play and she's just like, no, let's just fight it out. But yeah, it would have been much more sympathetic maybe if she'd been trying to use her whatever means necessary methods on maybe Erin earlier on in the season or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, she sort of, yeah, with the men it's super sexual, but here it's just much more fun and entertaining. And it's a grazer I could get behind, theoretically. Mm-hmm. So I, could see, yeah. I can see her motivations, even if I don't agree with her methods. Yeah, for sure. Because it's, it's that whole, like, you know, oftentimes the femme fatale figure, which she kind of is, is demonized and is, you know, seen as a threat to men and their masculinity, even as she is the actual villain in a plot. But here, when she is looking forward to the bigger picture on the the political scene, like you can you can see that okay, this is how femme fatale is it, and how is it that she is portrayed that is making her the villain versus her actual actions making her a villain. If you actually look at her in universe, mm-hmm. yeah, this at play here. Whereas before, it just sort of felt like it was trying to be a domineering, dominating mm-hmm. person. Whereas actually, yeah. this has a purpose and a reason. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it also makes me wonder how how much she's just using the boob sweat thing and all the other air quotes tools in her arsenal to kind of get a leg. <laughs> that's a bad phrase, but to kind of get <laughs> Throw a, leg a leg up. over. Yeah. Well, yeah. to kind of yeah. 
because we don't know what her station was. Maybe she started not in, maybe she wasn't born into the peacekeepers. Maybe this is, you know, she has had to climb a lot further than other commanders. And, but mm-hmm. we don't really get enough of her backstory to make yeah. any of her sympathetic. It's just kind of this one throwaway line of like, I'm doing what I have to because I want peacekeepers and sedations to survive. So maybe like an early episode. Yeah, you you were saying seeing the series from Bracker's point of view, but actually, yeah, maybe just a seed on the peacekeeper carrier earlier on in the season where mm-hmm. it's like, this is what we need to do. This is the threat. And mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do. Like before they're on on esque even. And that sort of gives you that feel for what their motivations are as our antagonists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we get a little bit of that with Scorpius, his backstory of the Scarin threat. And, and I feel like it's been mentioned, but it's never been dwelled on the way that we got that incubator episode um, with Scorpius. We're really delved into his back backstory so it feels like yes we get these kind of they're they're seeding it in there but you never dwell on it with character stuff that really makes it memorable with Graza. well and i mean i guess the thing with incubator and scorpius is that came after like two seasons of him and john yeah you know so maybe if we'd gotten farscape season five um, not that yeah. I'm complaining that we got Peacekeeper Wars, but maybe <laughs> if we had gotten a season five or something, we would have gotten a Greza backstory episode, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, so, actually, as a difference from how we, we knew about Christ as well, mm-hmm. yeah, it is the one we know the least about. Yeah, that's yeah. actually true, because really early on in Old Black Magic, we got Kreis's backstory with him and his mm-hmm. brother. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not going to comment on the only female villain being the least developed, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I'll point out again, we didn't get a season five. And remember, at this point in the show, when they were making these episodes, they thought they would have a season five. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I'm not going to entirely fault the show for this. (laughs) So at the end of that quote, we heard someone come up and say, Captain, um, or Braca or something, but one of the soldiers, PK soldiers, has come up, interrupted, and he says, "There's been reports of a Nabari out there." And they're like, Braca's ears little twitch up like a little corgi's, and he goes off to investigate this Nabari that is mysteriously around because who could it be? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So we get this really fantastic scene where he and his other uh, his henchmen or commanders, I guess they're commanders, I shouldn't call them henchmen, are checking the DNA of all the people around trying to find uh, out if the Nabari is real and if it's Chiana and if John Crichton might be close by. But as you recall, Chiana and Norianti have gone through a DNA change. So here's that confrontation because it's also kind of hilarious. You. We're looking for a Nabari. Female. Well, then try a Surat, level three. Any kind of female you could care for. Right. Hands off. I'm not on the market. Besides, I don't even like men. (laughs) What are you doing? DNA scan. (laughs) Be quiet. Oh, quiet. Quiet, my email. Match. Old woman? Does that make you important? What is that? What is that? Drugs. Oh, I don't need drugs. I've got true love. You don't need drugs if you've got true love. You. Have you seen a Nabari female? I wouldn't know one if it bit me on the prey. 
Though that could be fun. Grey girl. Thin. Young. Good looking. Mm. We only ever notice the good looking ones. <laughs> I said I would do the talking. Well, you didn't say all the talking. I thought we did rather well. Just to be clear, Shiana and Norianti are basically in a cinch this entire time, and their faces are next to each other, and they are uh, acting like lovers. So it's that's kind of the visual so context. Great. <laughs> it is <laughs> so great. I just love the. It didn't bit me on the front. They're just so <laughs> flirty and casual and funny and. I just think it's, I really love that interaction because it's, and Bracker, sort of, you get the feeling he just doesn't know where to look. Um, <laughs> it's really, really great. Yeah, and as, as a distraction from all the craziness that's going on, one, that they don't get discovered, but two, that they're really having fun with it. I really yeah. enjoy the conversation. Yeah, and I feel like Noranti is really getting into role-playing here with it, and Shiana is liking that she has one, you know, kind of pulling the wool over Braca's eyes. I could see her definitely enjoying that part of it. And trying to fish for a compliment. Is she pretty? <laughs> <laughs> I also like, we don't need drugs. We have true love <laughs> from Noranti. From Naranti of all people, I love it. Uh, I think that I love so much about this that in an episode that's like really stressful with the politics of it all, you have Naranti and Shiana kind of being like, so we're lovers. That's our that's our cover. And it totally works. And I also was kind of like, I get makeup wise why they did this, but I was like, they still look exactly the same. <laughs> I'm genuinely like... There is no, this is a massive suspension of disbelief. <laughs> yeah, that looks exactly the same. Well, it's, think of it this way. You have the actor in costume as their Chiana and Noranti, and then they have basically that character in costume as someone else. So they have to have the underlying part. So it's like this this Russian doll, you know, this, what are the dolls called? But the, yeah, anyway, the yeah. stacking dolls that you, you have with the characters. But yeah, it is a suspension of disbelief. You'd think Bracca of all people. So here's a question. Did Bracca recognize them and then let them go? Ooh. <laughs> I just thought of that one. I don't think he did. I think they're trying to play it straight, but it's an interesting what if. I don't know, because I sort of get the impression Bracca's cleverer than he ever lets on to anyone. <laughs> he um, has full reason to think he's not working for Scorpius. Yeah, I love the idea of him just going, oh, God, what are we going to do with them if we have them? It's just a whole <laughs> paperwork. Like, we don't really gain anything by doing this. And also, my baby Scorpius hasn't told me I can do this. Um, yeah. So, I think- but if you think about it, and Scorpius is like all about protecting John from Greza, from the Scarens, from everybody, I could see Braca, if he did recognize him, be like, Scorpius wants to protect these people from Greza, so my role here should be not to recognize them. Yeah. So that John is protected. But also, how many times has he seen Naranti? <laughs> I mean, he's seen Shanna a little oh, bit. Yes. That's yeah. a good but question. Maybe I, it's a combination of, I kind of think it's them, 
but I kind of don't care enough to pursue it. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of Braca being smarter than anybody knows. And I think that this is interesting because I think it, it really easily could go either way. And I kind of love the idea of it being a a Gattaca kind of thing where like maybe the DNA scan does say it's them, but he's like, oh, whatever. It says it's not them, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Because like I said, I don't think they change their DNA. They look exactly the same, just with like different hair. (laughs) Yeah. And then later on, you find out she's got a different smell. But again... I think the smell's probably more changed than her physical appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, I love this scene. But so, meanwhile, on the more serious note, Greza and Anka have, or, yeah, Anka, have have signed a treaty now. And this treaty gives up the Luxon territory in exchange for the Uncharteds. And Mm -hmm. Greza kind of says, well, she explicitly says, that um, the peacekeeper high command will go for it because she has enough of the counselors on her side. And if this does go through, then she has a way towards high command. She would be the, mm-hmm. whatever they call their high commander. Yep. And watching from their hiding place, Aaron was going to shoot Greza before she signed the treaty and prevent it from ever happening. But there is a PK soldier who comes by sniffing around where their hiding place is and they have to go kill him first before or knock him out before she can take the shot. And then the signing is done by the time she gets back in position and then she can't get the shot anyway um, because there's a Scarin in the way, the Akna's uh, henchmen are equivalent to Braca. So basically they miss their opportunity, but Anka isn't done with the treaty because she has her soldiers her chariot soldiers shoot the peacekeeper soldiers mm-hmm. and take Braca when he returns prisoner and take Greza prisoner because they want the wormhole technology. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a really interesting moment because this is one of the reasons that Aaron wanted to get involved at all was because she's kind of started spouting Scorpius's line of if the Scarens don't think that the peacekeepers have wormhole tech then the entire galaxy is screwed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that thing of, oh, my God. But also, it's just the unknown. Who knows what Grazer knows? Who knows what is going to be able to tell them? If she does have this link to high command, they've just got someone really, really high up in their grasp. Tal and John died to stop the Scarens getting this knowledge. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's... Mm really really important to the Moyans that there is a balance and the balance is that no one has anything Mm -hmm. that's a really important thing and so this tipping the scales a little bit is a really really disturbing turn of events Yeah. yeah yeah and Aaron feels like she has to do something yeah so my question is kind of since we now have Aaron who kind of is a little more balanced on the subject than John or Scorpius is. But Aaron is essentially siding with Scorpius about how they need to either ally themselves with the peacekeepers or just at least give the universe back that balance. I guess my question kind of, is it worth it to go with the peacekeepers over the Scarens? I think... We only have a few episodes worth of information on the Scarens. We have, look at the princess, the ambassador who had 
um, what's his face, the stupid prince in his grasp and was torturing him, his affirmed ally for information yeah. and stuff and using him well, as a tool. Yeah. And then we have Scorpius's testimony basically from Incubator about the Scarens basically capturing and raping his mother to create hybrids and doing experiments on Sebations in order to try and get a foothold. You have what? Um, Sokozu and her kind of like, I live under the Scaran control. They're not, you know, the best overlords, but they're my overlords kind of deal. So we have the more of a peacekeeper view. I feel like on the Scarens, then we do the Scarens view of the peacekeepers. And then we just have our own knowledge of the peacekeepers and what they've done to the space that they occupy, like with their imprisonment and the political, you know, deposing Rigel and things like that. So I think I'm more with John on it than I am with like, Oh, we must stop the Scarens. I think both sides need to be stopped. Yeah. But I, I kind of see the point also that the Scarens are bad news. But then, yeah, the people who are very anti-Scaran are the ones that have had the most experience of the Scarans. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it has driven Scorpius's whole life. Yeah. Ah, and no interaction with the Scarans because um, when the Scarans came down onto the planet after Eren had died, super super violent. Mm-hmm. Won't get fooled again. Super super torturey and violent. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I. I don't think we've seen an interaction with them where, oh, except for fractures. Fractures. Yeah. And they have the Scarin prisoner who's actually a nice yeah. person and oh, had their, yeah. her heat gland removed. Yeah. So he's the only super nice Scarin we've seen. <laughs> um, and he was a peacekeeper prisoner. Yeah. Oh, I don't so, know. Yeah. It's really hard. And yeah, I think this is it. Like, you from the information they have suspicion of the scarens is the most logical thing mm-hmm. um but also from the information they have they've interacted a lot with the peacekeepers and they have a lot of justifiable reasons to hate the peacekeepers as well so yeah just keeping it as zero sum as possible i think is probably the safest strategy hmm. yeah agreed so now Aaron has lost her chance to assassinate Greza, which would definitely have shortened season four. And <laughs> Greza is taken to the Scarin ship, which is called a striker. While they... Uh, they're in the bay before they get to the ship, I think. Okay. Like they're at the docking. Okay. So they're, they're in the bay. They're somewhere. And Greza is in this like machine thing and Brock is all tied up and clearly concussed because he <laughs> keeps like he keeps trying to get the Scarin to like attack him and I'm like dude you're gonna die Bracca don't die don't die Bracca uh, yeah, yeah. producing my Bracca's more clever than we think he is <laughs> <laughs> oh Bracca oh man Aaron and Sokozu reunite with Chiana and Noranti and Aaron is the one giving the order. She tells Sokozu to find out where Greza and Brock are being taken. Chiana has to go to the pod to secure their, their sensor disruptor and Noranti, she's like, what do you got in that magic bag of drugs, little woman? <laughs> and so Noranti has like magic shrooms of some sort that she needs to, she's going to make into a weapon. Mm-hmm. Which again, I love Noranti. I'm like, ah, <laughs> Okay, I complete. I'm really happy you're on this show. So, yeah. 
Naranti makes like these magic drugs that she blows in the face of the Cherids and convinces one Cherid to shoot the other. And then they go all Star Wars about it with Sokozu and Aaron dressing up as Cherids. Yes. yes. It's so, yeah, it's a classic sci-fi moment where like, I've got a prisoner. Yay, and then I shoot you. It's wonderful. Yep. <laughs> um, and they just execute it so well. And Erin with that sly, oh, it's yours. I think it might be my size. And it's great. It's yeah. really good. Way back in Liars, Guns, and Money, when John and Aaron were going to try the same thing, but they didn't have time to put on the suits before more, more of guards came. So this is actually the first time, I think, on the show that we've actually gotten that, that hey, let's dress up as the enemy and have it actually work. Because they did try it before, but it didn't work out last time. <laughs> So the two of them dress up as Cherids and they go in and shoot the Cherid guarding Graza and Baraka. I think Graza is in this, as you said, weird coffin-like thing and she's like, oh, well done, Aaron is being like, as if she came to rescue you. And I'm just like, shut up, Graza. You don't need to be (laughs) condescending like that. (laughs) But the way that she and Baraka work together is really great. Like, when Mm -hmm. they're trying... Once Erin's not there and she's gone off to go and hunt down the, the treaty. Yeah. yeah. Like Bracker and Grazer get on it and they are fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Like, so whole, Yeah. We're gonna keep talking at you, we're gonna keep talking at you, we're gonna keep talking at you, and then we're gonna punch you in the face. Was great. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's them being really effective peacekeepers. And you can see how they managed to enslave vast proportions of like the yeah. whole galaxy. Yeah. Because yeah. Oh, they're really systematic about it. Mm-hmm. So um, we should play that quote, actually. It's a good one. So to set that up a little bit more, Aaron ends up taking Greza and Braca with them because Bra- uh, Greza points out that there's a command carrier out there. How are you going to get past it? So you can't just kill me. And then she covers the retreat while Sokozu has Greza and Braca at gunpoint and is holding the prisoner. And their original idea was to take them. And then. And then the, the great duo of Greza and Braca takes over. Into the cafe. Into the cafe! No, the pond is that way. No, Naranti, we're going to wait here for Erin. Erin is dead I by now. I said moving She's to the right. back. Killing Charrots is one thing, but two scouts. I said shut up! It was a great sacrifice on her part. It isn't over. She will survive. Alone? She's got no chance. Maybe you should go and help her, and I'll take these two to the park. No, Naranti, we have one weapon. The Scarums will be here any micron. This area is undefendable. Might I suggest... Shut up! If we stay, we die. It would be a great pity if Eren's death were for nothing. She's not dead! This way. Prime the Marauder. We must leave immediately. (laughs) That's so So good. good. So what you hear at the end there is Braca punching Sokozu out and taking her gun. And then Naranti runs off towards, um, I think Naranti wandered off and then she comes back for Sokozu. But uh, by that point, Greza and Braca have departed for the Marauder and gotten the heck out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly the point you were making, Esther, about for all that they are this kind of weird team, what with the mind wiping and the sex and him betraying her to Scorpius, they still work really well together, which does say something for peacekeeper training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kicks in, you're in a tight spot, you get out of your tight spot, and you get out of there. And yeah, they're very effective. 
And if you listen to them trying to convince Sokozu that they just need to go, I mean, Sokozu's the one with the weapon, and she's like, Aaron said, Aaron covered the retreat with the Scarens, and they're like, she's dead now, don't make her sacrifice be vain. They're saying all the right things to convince somebody to to say, hey, you don't have any backup left, we need to make the spark play here and get away from the Scarens. So it it is a really convincing argument. Mm -hmm. And she sort of takes that on in a bit, because she's like... Yeah, we're waiting for her. She hasn't turned up. Maybe she is dead. Like, they got yeah. into her head. Yeah, and I think that's interesting about Sukozu and Aaron's relationship because we mentioned way back at the beginning that Aaron was very suspicious of Sukozu when the peacekeepers first arrived. But here we have Sukozu really worried about Aaron not coming back and not being there to help her with these two peacekeeper prisoners that they've taken, mm-hmm. but also just it feels worried about Aaron. And um, and as you say, a little bit later, you know, she gets gets into her head about do they stay or do they go. So Aaron gave her a time limit of 30, 30 minutes, half an arn. So she and Chiana and Naranti are back at the pod. And meanwhile, Chiana had a little bit of a run in with the, the two dudes who are they're selling them the disruptor. Who because because they didn't recognize Chiana because she was uh, has her DNA changed. They're like guarding the pod from her, which is kind of like boss. <laughs> I was actually really you know? impressed with them. I was like, ah, that's nice. They should get a good like review online, like a five star review. Because they did. They were went above and beyond. It was great customer service. Got <laughs> um, a great functioning disruptor within the time that they we did. had asked for it, and made sure no one else stole that ship. <laughs> For once, the vendor that they were dealing with did not screw them over. They did exactly what they said they were going to do. Plus bonus customer service. Yeah, that's true. I, I have to admit, I was spending this whole time being like, oh, they're going to screw them over. They're going to do something. It's not going to work. But no, it totally worked. And they <laughs> like, I still am just really happy the way they were like, listen, we don't like it when people try and steal our clients' pods. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, all right. Good job, guys. So they finally do believe Chiana is who she is because in the me first meeting, she had kissed one of the guys as part of the negotiations, and then they kiss again, and he identifies her kiss. It's all very sexy. The real real part of it is then next is Sukozu pacing, and they're at the end of their 30 minutes, and they're like, do we stay or do we go? And Chiana's like, we got to go find Aaron and get her and bring her back. And I think that's really kind of cool for Chiana to be saying that too. I mean, she's always been a go-getter and let's do something instead of wait around. Mm -hmm. But she really is worried about Aaron and wants to go save her. And she's super loyal as well. So I remember because in Unrealized Realities, they're trying to sort of vote on whether or not they should wait for John because they're just like, he's been away a really, really long time. And Shiana is always the one to say, no, we are a team. We stay and wait. And she's like, yeah, "Yeah, staying and we're waiting for Aaron. And she's, firm on that in ways that sometimes she's like oh should we run should we take care of ourselves but only when the team's all together when the team's not all together she is very much i am gonna look out for these people and i think that is amazing development for tiana because yeah her original instincts mm-hmm. back in the day were just run 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 look after yeah yeah because if you look back at the body switch episode she's willing to run with rigel even when she's not in chiana's body even when she's not in her own body so kind of her being willing to stay with scarens and peacekeepers knowing where they are i think you're right about her character growth i think it's really it's good to see Mm -hmm. yeah 
for sure. And uh, even Sokozu being like pacing, not sure what to do. She is also exhibiting those signs of like, hey, this is the team I'm with. We got to stick together for it, even though she's the one who's voicing the concern of like, she said to go at 30 minutes. We're at 30 minutes or half an arm. What should we do? But she doesn't actually really make motions to follow through on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Aaron comes running in the door and they're able to make it out. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Which gets us back to Moya. Well. All right. So let's set up this next bit a little bit. So they barrel out of there. They have, they make calm contact with Moya. And Pilot is like, there is a warship, a Scarron warship chasing them. And they're all like, all right, Dargo says starburst as soon as they're aboard. So that's exactly what they do. So they starburst away from that dead Leviathan planetoid and the Scarrens. And they're getting away and everyone's kind of up in arms. But then the Scarron warship is coming after them at their long range sensor distance, which is what they got the sensor disruptor to, to do. So we have Scorpius and Noranti are down where the the... The sensor disruptor is going to be installed. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch of people on command, um, including John, who says, I bet it's a homing beacon that they something we brought on board is letting them know. So they start scanning all sorts of things. And then Shiana and Rigel are off in the, in the transport pod scanning that for anything. Mm-hmm. And they don't find anything physical. And then Aaron on command next to John says, I got split up from Sukozu. Maybe it's her. And so that suspicion comes back into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's that really calls back to the beginning of this episode where Aaron did have that passing suspicion. And this is what I said about the fake out, because there's something about her being suspicious of Sokozu that really pinged my own radar, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pilot says, listen, the Scarron Dreadnought is gaining on us. And then somebody kind of voices, well, I think it's Rigel, voices the, hey, we should all abandon ship. And it's Mariachi yeah. that says that. I want to play that quote because this is another John Quixote moment of John knowing Aaron real well. Mm-hmm. All, the, all four women have been scanned by the DRDs and nothing was found on them. No one is chasing Moya and Pilot. It might be better just to leave them. We're going to do this, ma'am. Safest for Moya. What about the baby? What about the baby? It's a simple question. Where's the beacon? We don't know where the beacon is. Crichton, what are you doing? Where's the beacon? Where's the baby? Where's the baby? Where's the beacon? Beacon, baby, beacon, baby. Who's beacon? Who's baby? Who's the beacon? Who's the baby? Whose baby is it? Who's the daddy, Aaron? Aaron, who's the daddy? Dargo, tell her who the daddy is. We don't know who the daddy is. Right. We don't know. Say, baby, Aaron. Aaron, say, baby. Say, baby. Spell it. 
John shoots Aaron in the face and it's not Aaron and it's like really traumatic because you realize they have just starburst away from the Moya planetoid not Moya this Leviathan planetoid thing where they were before and Aaron is not with them dun 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 I think the first time I saw it I just screamed shoot her in the leg (laughs) (laughs) but it did Speaks to how much confidence he has in their relationship. They've clearly used the word baby in English to each mm-hmm. other. There is so much confidence that he knows without a shadow of the doubt that he can shoot her in the head. Yeah. But also the thing that gives him this confidence is the thing that's like, well, I have to destroy it and then I have to work out where Erin is. Mm-hmm. And it's just so painful it's the devastating idea yeah they've had this the way the episode starts with them intertwined and sort of wanting to stay on board together and hang out and knowing that they've got to do other things and get on with their jobs but they're so cute together at the beginning <laughs> of the episode and then for it to end like this it's just torturous they finally got together and then they've been torn apart again and it's I, I, it, I think it broke me. <laughs> oh, so good. And I love, like I said, this is a John Quixote moment because this shows how well John knows Aaron. That what first pings him to it is this idea of her being willing to abandon Moya and Pilot and kind of being like, well, mm-hmm. no one's, you know, no one's chasing Pilot and, you know, and Moya. So, you know, that's okay. And then also the, the whole baby thing. But this is, this is kind of my big question because this is when John's let me do drugs so that Scorpius doesn't realize that I'm still really madly in love with Aaron kind of that whole plan kind of falls to the ground because Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, so what was your long-term plan here? Because this is not going to be the first or only time that Aaron's in danger. And clearly John, like, when he shoots her, he loses it. He is not yeah. okay after this. And so I'm like, at some point, Scorpius would have figured out she was important <laughs> to you. Yeah, yeah but I think that's episodes. the whole It's literally been to it. Because mental is anything and bringing Twice him the basically at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, essentially, it's... You have to remember that this is the John Crichton plan. And it's like, <laughs> there are no guarantees, right? And it's like, you just are in denial and you just try for as long as possible, even if you don't know how you're going to sustain it for long term. Like, what else is he supposed to do? The only other option is to get rid of Scorpius, which they agreed not to do because Aaron wants to keep him alive because she promised and she has honor and all, you know, warrior, warrior, warrior stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you know, so there's like, yeah, he didn't think this is probably going to last forever but i bet he thought he'd have a better plan in place by the time something came along or he was just mm. like in denial about it because i feel like the show has set up like plans are not thought through chaos happens and that i think was what really lets me buy it 
Mm-hmm. It's because yeah. like real world disorder and chaos is part of the fabric of the show. And yeah, nothing that plans are not always going to go to plan because they never do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I just love the characterization of John here where he does, you know, where's the beacon, where's the baby, and kind of the, these two yeah. things. It's very it's very Stark-esque, mm-hmm. like that kind of defensiveness that he's done a number of times of, you know, that kind of in-your-face asking repeated questions over and over when Aaron can't respond in English, because I absolutely agree. I think he's definitely asking for the English word. It's made me wonder if Sebastians, or at least peacekeepers, even have that in their vocabulary, like baby, as opposed to something more technical or or distant, like infant or offspring. So, yeah. And then it made me wonder, who knew about the baby? Like, they're keeping it from Scorpius. Did Sokozu know? No? I mean, Dargo clearly knew. And he kind of comes around and is on John's side of it. You can kind of see the realization going on there, too. But Chiana, they didn't know. I think everybody knows, though, because of natural election. That's the whole reason she gets on the ship, and it's it's through public comms, and we know Scorpius tapping. Okay, so Scorpius would probably know about it. Okay, because I was that was because it was a little bit unclear and twice shy whether they don't know who the daddy is, but at the same time, it's like if Scorpius knew about the baby at all you know, doesn't matter who the daddy is. And I guess that's what they're trying to keep from Scorpius, like how important Mm -hmm. it is to John either way. Yeah. I think logically you'd have to think it might be Mm -hmm. John's Mm -hmm. because there aren't that many candidates. I mean, (laughs) Erin's a beautiful woman, but in terms of how many people she's been exposed to, there aren't that many daddy candidates. Um, yeah, but it, but because the, the the egg could be in fertilized egg could be in stasis yeah. for seven years, it can go back to three years before they even met, mm-hmm. and right. she presumably had a couple partners before then. And I think we actually get into that a little bit more in the next episode, prayer mm-hmm. of who the daddy is. Yeah, who's but, my who's yeah. the daddy, Dargo? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the daddy. <laughs> uh, Thanks for sharing. That's the best. Yeah. So now we have a dead Aaron on the floor and her face has kind of been cleaved in half because of the shot. And it's like this gooey kind of white stuff underneath and plasticky. Yeah, plasticky. And Sokozu is really shaken up by this because this is the second time that Aaron has been willing to essentially die for Sokozu. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I want to play the last little bit, which I think includes that quote, and it goes through the end of the episode. It really kind of wraps up the two major storylines. Homing device. I found in what's left of its neural processor. That device confining Grazer was not meant to transport her. No. It replicates living flesh. We've known about it for some time, but never encountered the result. Effective technique. No rescue attempt or their leisure to torture Grazer. And now, her duplicate spies on the peacekeepers. Then why did they take Aaron? I got away. She got caught. Maybe they thought this creature would bring back Grazer. Oh, Crichton. Sokozu. 
not Aaron. It was never Aaron. We're not gonna give up on it, John. Skoza said the Scarabs are taking Grazy to a place called Kutratsi. Maybe that's where Aaron is now. She could be anywhere out there. But we're not gonna let her go. I give you my word. Oh, so there's there's two things, and I want to start with the Sukozu bit because it kind of wraps up Sukozu and Aaron. Just the tone of her voice when she says, "You know, I got away and Aaron got caught," it just like breaks my heart because it's this like realization of of how much Chance had to play with this, and that Aaron was willing to cover Sukozu's retreat and put herself in that danger, and ultimately was sacrificed for it. And it's just. I don't know. Something about that just really gets me every single time I hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is a, from this position of everyone being not quite sure where her loyalties lie, I think now it's just so clear that she respects Erin and she's a part of the team and mm-hmm. she's on board with what they need to do to get Erin back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although that flip flops a bit in future episodes. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, again, actually, maybe it is just that she likes playing devil's advocate and just being like, okay, what are we going to do if this is the situation? Which they do need on board the ship because they're all really hot-headed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as much as Sokozu kind of came on board as Miss, like, I'm in charge, pilot, you should give me complete control. (laughs) Somebody (laughs) needs to take charge. Well, that someone isn't you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think that... I think that this really shows some growth for Sokozu because up until now, pretty much her only loyalty has been with Scorpius. And then in Kubai Clam, she was, you know, kind of leaning towards like, okay, I'm a member of the crew now. Like I'm willing to get my finger cut off so because I can attach it, you know. But now it's kind of that, it, it's kind of, it feels a little bit like Chiana's arc in the sense of like Chiana really kind of came came home, came to really see Moya as home when she started having to make sacrifices for the crew and when Pete, the crew started making sacrifices for her. And that's mm-hmm. a lot what I feel like here with Sokozu is kind of like, oh, Aaron was willing to sacrifice herself for me. Yeah. 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 For sure. And then the other part of this that's so devastating is John threw it out because he is silent <sighs> And he's not crying. He's just shut down. Like he is in there deep inside and the windows are closed and you can't tell what's going on in his head. And it's, it's, it's like the hurt that's so deep that, you know, you don't rage out externally. You just close in on yourself because the most important person in his world has been left behind. Mm-hmm. I think it's deep shock. He's just yeah. catatonic. Mm-hmm. And it's so heartbreaking because, yeah, thinking back to Nerve, where he was like, right, she's just a little bit ill and he had to go and get something off a command carrier. Um, yeah. Now, where this is the woman he deeply, deeply loves and she's somewhere and he doesn't know where she is and he's mm-hmm. got to find her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Aaron is being held at a place called Kachatsi and they have no idea where that's at. I think. That's what ends up carrying us through the next episode is them trying to find Aaron. Yeah. 
I think your point is interesting about nerve because I, I think that he just got her back too. like, mm-hmm. yeah. like, it's not just been that she was gone on Talon for a really long time, but it's like she was gone on Talon. She gave up on their relationship. Then they were back. And then he gave up on their relationship. And they've had like a moment in Pilot's Den, you know, that yeah. is their, and it's like, uh, I think that's what makes it so heartbreaking is that like, they just found each other again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, but this is fast game. They will find each other again. They're, they they <laughs> can't not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, how long it'll last the next time? Who knows? But yeah. Well, as you said, we're in the kind of the home stretch of the of the series and the season. This kind of sets the stage for the next what six episodes that mm-hmm. can take us through the season finale. Next week, we have a constellation of doubt, which really wrestles with how are they going to find Aaron and mm-hmm. bring her home? It's a great episode too. So, so that's kind of the episode. What would you guys rate this one out of five? Oh, um, there are some problems with it. And my main thing that I sort of come away with every time is I still don't know how long does it take to create a bioloid? Because yeah. <laughs> was Grazer twins? <laughs> and, and like there's a few things where I'm like, okay. And would he really have shot her in the head? I still just don't know. Um, but I love it. I love it. I rewatch it all the time. Probably a <laughs> four and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the bioloid, like, was Grey's a twin was actually a question. And, like, the script itself doesn't answer because they're like, yeah. well, they assume she's been twinned. But then Neuranti was like, well, maybe this creature would bring Greza back. And I'm like, but if Greza is, like, a fake Greza, why would they want to bring Greza back? So it is kind of a – and also, how would that have happened without Bracca noticing? But I'm willing mm-hmm, to hand yeah. wave a lot of those. I, I'll also go with a 4.5 just because you have the comedy of – of Naranti and Chiana, <laughs> which here's a question yeah. for y'all. Does this mean that Chiana is now canonically bisexual? Because this is the second time in three episodes <laughs> that she's been like, okay with like girls. I women. think it totally is. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm sure this is, yeah. I don't think I ever question. <laughs> I think she's pansexual. She'll have sex with anything. <laughs> <laughs> she just needs to meet up with Jack Hardness, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's fanfic that writes itself. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think in Twice Shy, I feel like really establishes her as bisexual. This just confirms it. And it's yeah. kind of fun to see them playing with that too, just because, you know, bisexual bisexuals are not something that's often represented or are often represented poorly. And you could probably argue that Shiana is like, you know, she's the slut, quote unquote. So, you know, maybe they're saying something that way. But at the same time, I love her to death. So I'm going to take it as a positive. Is Naranti canonically dead? (laughs) I could go for that. A little too much. (laughs) I think, yeah. I think Naranti for me, I'm like, I think Naranti's another one who's like, hey, love is love, you know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, and by the way, speaking of your magic skirt, Taz, so this is one episode where Naranti's like, oh, well, I could make such and such, but I don't have any of the ingredients. So I'm like, Naranti, why did you change out of your magic skirt? <laughs> <laughs> that has all your drugs in it. Yeah. Yeah. The skirt of many pockets. Indeed. Yeah. I, 
I would give this one also a four, four and a half. I really like it a lot. It's got so much good plot momentum that goes for it. And it's got the central question of, you know, Aaron and Sokozu wrestling with what do we do about Greza? Like, you know, do we ally with her? Do we not ally with her? Ally with her. And it's just, I just love it. And I, that ending just kills me every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The emotional investment in the episode is so high. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because it starts off as like a, this is going to be an action episode. And by the time they get back to Moya, you're kind of like, okay, so it's over. So, you know, yeah. everything's fine. Right. And nope, 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 nope. Things are not fine. <laughs> John is not fine. <laughs> the worst it could possibly be. Yeah. But it really raises the stakes for the for the rest of the season or, or the next this next section of episodes, which I think is a really good thing for season season four going out strong because mm-hmm. yeah. we've had some episodes that have been a few, little uneven. And this season is definitely more uneven than season three. But I feel like it really does end on a strong note. Mm-hmm. And I think another reason I really like this episode is I think from this point on, everything that happens is gold. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gold. Agreed. Um, Agreed. There is, I, I, in preparation for this, I watched um, From Terra Firma, and I just couldn't stop. I watched it <laughs> because after that, you have to know what's going to happen next. You have to know how it's going to resolve. You have to know what happens to all of them. And you have to know that they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Any closing thoughts? I did have a one bit of nerdy trivia. Yeah. Okay. Well, I tried to find it, actually, whilst we were recording, and I couldn't find it. But I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that Rebecca Riggs, who plays Grazer, and Francesca Buller, who plays Akna, I had heard that they really respected each other as actresses on the circuit, and they'd mm-hmm. really been looking forward to working together. And it took them a while to recognise each other because... Uh, Francesca was in such heavy makeup <laughs> <laughs> an adorable thing that it was like oh my god I can't wait to meet you I can't wait to meet you oh my god I've been in a scene with you and I didn't realize it was you that's amazing <laughs> uh, so that is one of that's my favorite amazing. that's fantastic yeah and just I always love that Francesca will always play someone who you want to slap in the face she is oh, amazingly she's... consistent um, she's really good at that uh, and again and this again it's brilliant because it's the most you get of her as one character as well because all the other ones were one shots and mm-hmm. we really get deeply involved with Akna for the rest of the series <laughs> and I love that he's on the show now yeah agreed yeah it's exciting and it must have been nice to work together as a couple without working together yeah. working together <laughs> All right, so we are Farscape Friday podcast at Gmail, Tumblr, and at dreamwidth.com. And we are Farscape Friday on Twitter. So hit us up in any of those places. Let us know what your favorite moment from this episode was. And we will see you next week. Thank you, Esther, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It's been really, really great. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.